0: Like you 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 may have some impact in improving the overall situation, but re- you really ought to think about is just how quickly and massively you can degrade the situation. It, my very first reaction is like, what was what what are you doing? Like why are you shooting at us? <laughs> we didn't do this. We're just here. You know, we were there helping the Estonians. We're gonna run a checkpoint. And my literally I'll never I was like, what I'm like what? why would you do that? It's not every day, like you're in a you know, vehicle and, you know, some explosion goes off on your hood, right? I'll never forget to, it was the 4th of July, actually. And we were on a night patrol back in the FOB. They, you know, we, we, they fired off some, some uh, flares, some mortars, right? It's a little mini celebration. And just watching, you know, through your night fishing goggles, just watching the flares, the flares go off. And, and just that, in a sense, a very, like, peaceful moment, very quiet moment. So it's it's funny in the sense that those are times, along with obviously the combat, some of the combat and 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 the loss. Whereas on the one hand, war is truly the most evil thing you'll ever experience. Like it is true, it's in a war writ large is the manifestation of human evil, right? I, I absolutely I saw that firsthand. But but these moments of combat, in a sense, you're almost thankful for having had the opportunity to bear witness to those. Those moments of just pure courage, right, and and that that to me um, is something I'll I'll always be grateful for is having having been just be able to say I was there when I saw um, my Marines just be able to do these just instant instinctively be heroes. The views and opinions in this podcast do not represent the Department of Defense, Department of the
1: Navy, or United States Marine Corps.
2: After their deployment in 2008, some called them the Forgotten Battalion, but the Marines and Sailors of the United States Marine Corps' 2nd Battalion 7th Marine Regiment reject the way the Forgotten Battalion moniker encourages that narrative of broken veterans. Instead, these warriors simply want to be remembered for the mission they accomplished and for the honor with which they have served their country and their corps. The majority of 2-7 veterans continue to reflect on their experiences while living their lives and pressing forward. These are their personal stories of resilience with insight to healthy coping and living with hope. Welcome to the Warriors Roundtable. Today we talk to former platoon commander in company XO, Arthur Carell. Thank you so much for being here. I know it was a busy day. I just came from some meetings to make time to talk with us, but welcome to Warriors Roundtable.
0: Thank you. No, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I know I appreciate your flexibility in in scheduling, and uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to having the chance to sit down and, and speak with you.
2: So to start off, tell us a little bit about where you were specifically in the Helmand province in Afghanistan in 2008 and what you were doing
0: certainly so for the majority of 2008 we were in nowzad which is a town in northwestern Helmand. it was uh so i and i was an infantry officer in the marine corps obviously at the time i was third platoon commander in fox company uh second battalion seventh marines and as such our mission was to essentially originally it was to you know support and train the afghan national police in in this one district of nawzad uh however it uh there there were no actual afghan national police there uh so it quickly turned into essentially securing that that district uh and particularly that that town so we start off in kandahar uh when we first deployed to afghanistan and then you know with the battalion uh, made our way over uh, to uh, to Camp Bastion there, which is the main British base there in Helmand. So you know with the next province over, and then from there, uh, I took the platoon and went to uh, essentially secure space for a forward operating base that we were uh, that we built there. That was going to be the you know, the base of operations for that that train and support mission. Uh, it was adjacent to a Estonian platoon in a sm- in a very small little uh, base called uh, fob gray, uh, that had been in NATO, you know, both British and Estonian position for, for a number of years by, by that time. Uh, so we, uh, essentially secured a much larger area adjacent to that existing facility. Uh, and from there, uh, built the fob, another platoon joined us first platoon from Fox company, uh, joined our platoon at that position. And there, as a company minus uh, the two platoons, uh, operated for the next uh, six months or so um, from uh, from that from that location, and we secured that the the urban area of Nasad, and then continued to to push out uh, the security perimeter out into the district with the with the goal of essentially a kind of self made goal of helping to repopulate. Uh, that area and and secure for the civilian population.
2: When you think about, and you're going to tell us a little bit more about what happened specifically during your deployment, but thinking to how you were prepared by the Marine Corps, how did they prepare you for a combat deployment in retrospect, or what did they do that you're able to draw from to be successful as a Marine infantry officer?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, the, the training was outstanding. I mean, I was unparalleled, really. Uh, I, as an infantry officer, you know you, you spend essentially a, a, a total of about a year in, in training. From you know OCS being about three months, in the basic school, which all officers attend, mm-hmm. uh, there in Quantico uh, for about six months, and then a, another three month program at the infantry officer course. Um, so that 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 absolutely, uh, from a tactical perspective, trains you in really just you know having having that tactical proficiency necessary to run a rifle platoon 100 you know there's there's no doubt in that and i think all of us uh we're very confident in our abilities from a tactical perspective now obviously in 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 applying that in a real world you know combat environment you know that was that it was even though our training uh period going into that afghan deployment was really only about four months um from the time at least myself and, and the other new second lieutenants joined the battalion to when we deployed, uh, it was still having that exposure to, to combat veterans within the battalion, you know, particularly a lot of uh, the, the, the uh, Marines who had just returned from Iraq uh, from a second tour of duty in Iraq uh, that the battalion had just returned from. Mm-hmm. Obviously that combat seasoning, had, you know, was, was extremely uh, helpful in, in kind of, you know, level setting, you know, just the, the expectations, you know, the, uh, the um, you know, essentially being able to, to inform our experience going into it and, and anticipate what kind of issues we'd be dealing with and, and the tempo of operations and what kind of, you know, perhaps more, not necessarily strategic considerations we should be thinking about. But there's one story I'll never forget, you know, that the, the first lieutenants at the time uh, who had all got, been on that Iraq deployment. And uh, as second lieutenants, now they were senior lieutenants. Uh, You know, so, you know, company XOs and, you know, weapons platoon leaders, what have you. um, They were instrumental. I mean, I'll never forget our company XO, Dan Sochi, uh, you know, was able to impart lessons to us as the new platoon, new rifle platoon commanders. um, Drawn very much from that counterinsurgency experience in Iraq that the battalion had just uh, gone through that were, I mean, they're absolutely formative. Uh, in in preparing for that deployment in Afghanistan, even though it was, you know, obviously a different country, different situation, you know, both from an insurgency perspective as well as just a, you know, tactical, uh, you know, certainly uh, from a regional perspective and the fact there were no other Marines there besides 2-7, um, but also just from a tactical perspective in, in terms of the kind of combat that was occurring or that was going to be occurring when we got there. Even though that was all different, the considerations that they were able to impart on us were were absolutely valuable and, and were were ones that I thought about throughout my entire time there. You know, Dan, Dan so I'll never forget this one uh you know late night session. They were all they were all seemed to be late night sessions when <laughs> he was imparting some wisdom upon us uh there in the company offices, you know, and he, and, he, and he he had a whiteboard and we were just talking about, you know, different considerations uh, in terms of working with a population, uh, of how to, you know, how to essentially stabilize that kind of, uh, that kind of population in, in the midst of an insurgency. And, and the way he put it was, you know, you, you, may be able to, to increase the trend line, you know, up a little bit, like you, you, you may have some impact in improving the overall situation, but re- you really ought to think about is just how quickly and massively you can degrade the situation. Wow. Right. So the downside, you know, as fast looking back on it, I mean, it was, I mean, it it was very insightful in the sense that like it, it, it was there, there might be a little bit of upside in the, in the impact you could have, but to really be aware of the massive downside risk,
1: Mm -hmm. right.
0: If you can mitigate the downside risk, you're actually doing pretty well for yourself. Right. So, so in that sense, you know, you could be doing, you know, four or five months of great things for the population, but it just takes that one mistake to ruin a lot of it.
2: Wow. That's a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure, but, but no, but those were exactly the kind of lessons or at least those kinds of, you know, thought exercises that, you know, that were incredibly valuable because it, you know, you, that was, you know, it made you think throughout that, that entire uh, deployment.
2: Were you, the first Marines then in Nauzad, or had there been any presence at any time before you all?
0: We had heard that there would, had been like a recon platoon that had gone through there, just kind of a, an isolated patrol.
1: Okay, I mean, encountered
0: a uh, uh, you know a lot of contact uh, with enemy forces, but no, no, nothing. No one in the sense of a, an established kind of presence there. We were certainly the first uh, to have that and 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 to establish that kind of presence.
2: So you're there. You mentioned like the Estonians, the British, they've got different rules of engagement. You all show up. uh, The the country, the Marine Corps gives you slightly different rules of engagement. And you all are engaged now more regularly in combat than some of our coalition forces that were with you. Tell us a little bit what combat was like for you.
0: Well, it was it, it, again, we had been pretty well prepared for it. Um, but from, I guess, like in more of an emotional and, uh, uh, psychological perspective there, there was there, obviously there wasn't quite anything Mm -hmm. like it, but it was, I mean, combat, you know, Stephen I, I'm going to mess up his name. Younger, younger, I believe. Oh,
2: Sebastian Younger.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sebastian Younger. My Apologies. Yeah, but Sebastian Younger. You know, he in his book War, uh, he talks about it. it's, just, it's basically this this adrenaline rush or this it's this kind of rush times a times a thousand, right? I mean, it re- and it really is. It's just it's such an intense experience yeah. emotionally and psychologically that you're just so engaged with it that um, you know all it's like. Your your senses your senses are heightened to a level that you just have never experienced in your life before, and that, in a sense, is incredibly invigorating. And just you know, you're just you you you've never really had that kind of feeling that that uh, that electrical mm. rush, and, and hence you have this kind of parasynthetic response afterwards, right? Your body just crashes, and you know you you're all groggy on on the back end because because you've had such an intense experience. So that so seeing I had been told about that, that, that and we had been prepared for that. And there's like having that described to you is one thing. Right? But to actually have it, it's like wow, that that's exact <laughs> that yeah. is exactly right. You know, that is definitely what just happened. Um so from that perspective, it was, you know, yeah, it it was as intense as people say it is. Um in terms of what was I mean? not to make light of it in any stretch, but at, at first it is, it is, I'll never forget my very first reaction. We first made contact uh, with the enemy forces in that area. It, my very first reaction is like, what was, what What are you doing? Like, why are you shooting at us? <laughs> we didn't do anything. we're just here. You know, we were there helping the Estonians. We're gonna run a checkpoint. And they had run, you know, they would driven some vehicles down to this one. It was a wadi, but you know, it was kind of a, a vehicle. It was a trafficked area by by uh, right. local civilians, or you know, who knows who else. Uh, and and they were just, you know, just checking cars for weapons and whatnot. And and we weren't even right there. We were we were a few hundred yards away, just you know, keeping watch right. and make sure everything's fine. And lo and behold, you know, we start taking fire. You know, people start shooting at us from the from some hills. And my literally, I'm never. I was like, what? Why, why would you do that? You
2: no, know, like. no, Arthur, just to be clear, because you would never say tell folks this, but I'm going to brag on you. You graduated from where before you came into the Marine Corps?
0: Right. So I, so I had been very fortunate to, uh, to have had uh, both undergraduate and graduate degrees by the time I came in the Marine Corps. So I went to Harvard undergrad and went to UBA law uh, for law school.
2: So you've got a Harvard grad and a UVA graduate student who's using the cognitive, rational part of his brain at this point to try to process something that, right. in, I mean, it's, it's but, got a rational component you know, to it, but no, it's, it's, it's very like, visceral. Yeah,
0: intellect—that's a good way to put it. Intellectually, I was befuddled. at like why, why would you do that, yeah. right? But but then but then obviously your training kicks in and and you know and, and you're, you you respond um, effectively and the other thing was too is like i think the other the other piece uh, that you don't necessarily quite expect um, is just the actual phys- you know the physical experience of having rounds um, fired in your in your general direction especially at a distance is like it, it it is harder than you think to to really pin down where it's coming from so there's that there's also that that instant that initial instant of disorientation in the sense of like you have to orient onto where this is coming from, and you know, and and so, but but the fact that you don't immediately know, you know, it's not like a it's not like a canned exercise, or it's not like a uh, uh, some kind of range where it's like, yeah, you know, the enemy's over there, you're over here, and it's like, okay, do what you're supposed to do. This is like, you know, you you don't have half of that equation, right? And so you have to orient and solve that problem first before you can effectively respond. And that that's another one of those like. That was like maybe the second second i you know the first second is like why are you doing this the second is like okay where are you and then you're like okay now you know then then you go on from there so um so i guess those that that very first combat experience you know you know people have likened it to to various things and and in the sense that at first it's a little like just disorienting and confusing it's yeah that's that's definitely true as well
2: yeah no i think everybody just experiences it a little bit differently and describes it a little bit differently. So I always find it interesting. I'm sure there's a couple, at least a couple, milestone moments or events that stand out to you, whether that be uh, an operation or just something that was very uh, deeply personal, uh, something that just resonated with you specifically. But could you maybe highlight one or two of those? Tell us a little bit about your uh, deployment through the lens of those events.
0: Sure. I mean, no, I mean, there were, there were so many and, and look, I, you're talking to someone who really, you know, you know, you put my experience next to, you know, men and women who deployed a dozen times and have been in combat 10 times, the amount of time I was in. So, so I, so in, in that relative to that, my experiences are extremely limited what I do, but even in that limited set, uh, there, there's a cr- so many memories stand out for different reasons. Um, you know, one is one is that I guess there is a, the first the first time where we uh, were conducting. You know, we th- there's this trench system that surrounded Nausad to the uh, to the east and to the north uh this enemy this enemy kind of fort we literally called it the flat the forward line of enemy troops i mean you could basically head in that direction and after you know within a certain distance you were guaranteed that there would be some kind of contact Mm. um and so uh when once we identified a number of these positions you know we conducted this assault to 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 reduce those and yeah i mean i'll never forget that very first assault we did um which, and, and, and going and basically walking through areas you knew were heavily IED'd in mind and because of the speed and also being, you know, you know, that, that kind of infantry leader, um, you know, wanting to be first to show that, you know, particularly in the early phase of the deployment, like that this is stuff that we are going to do and we can do, and and you were demonstrating that by example. So, yeah. So, you know, this one time, you know, there was a, you know, basically, there's this bridge to, over this trench to get to the rest of the area that we uh, we knew that there were enemy positions, and just basically, just like you know, I'm going to cross that right now, and you know, have me me and a combat engineer who uh, who you know is doing the the mine sweeping thing very almost perfunctorily, you know, just like, (laughs) I'm not sure he was at, you know, he could actually hear anything because there was gunfire going on. Right. Um, I'm not sure how effective the, the mine detector was or the metal (laughs) detector rather, but, uh, but it looked good. Right. Right. But but regardless, um, you know, just, just me and him just, you know, crossing that bridge and, and, and and just doing it because like, you know, just thinking, okay, you know, you're continually calculating the risk. At least that's one way I was, I, I reflect back on, on, you know, your mental state during the time. And it's like, you know, you're, you're always, you know, there, there's just continuous moments of, you know, relative safety, even, even when there's, you know, heavy amounts of, uh, you know, enemy fire and, 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 and you're returning fire and what have you, you could be perfectly safe behind a berm or you know, vehicle or what have you, or if, uh, it's a relative term, right? Perfectly safe. Um, and in the same sense, when you're not, when you know you're exposing yourself, um, and so it's just a continuous kind of like, you know, taking those risks and obviously doing so in a calculated manner. Um, and, but then there's other times too, where you're, you're faced with completely unexpected or not completely unexpected risk, but you see how close, you know, things can happen. Certainly, you know, seeing guys get, get wounded. Um, there's this one, I'll never forget this one mental image. Uh, we were in a different uh, operation and, uh, one of my corporals was walking along this wall with the squad and, and there, you know, Taliban had been lobbing in, uh, mortar shells into the general area, not really knowing where we were, but just kind of just, you know, lob- lobbying, uh, lobbing shells. And this one land, he was walking along this wall and this one shell landed, couldn't have been more than three feet above his head on the top, like hit the top of the wall. Right. And this is, you know, it's only about as you know, eight, six, eight inch wide wall. Right. So, you know, just a few inches and that literally would it landed on top of his helmet. Right. And so, but, but because, because it landed above him on this wall, like it was completely like, it was just kicked up a lot of dust. That's all it did. And just, and I, and I was looking, you know, and I'm standing maybe 20, 30 feet away in front of him and just looking back at him and watching this happen. And, and at the time just, you know, it's fine. It's like, didn't really register. And then looking back, it's like, you know, just seeing, seeing those moments of how close things can get. Right. Um, Good, 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 bad or indifferent. You just, you know, those things stick out. Right. You know, this, this, you know, this one time a mortar shell, you know, speaking of being perfectly safe, but something that, that seems crazy, you know, having a, a massive, uh, um, mortar shell, like land on the hood of a Humvee in which you're the, you know, you're in the front seat, right? Mm-hmm. you're in the, you're in the, in, in the front us, uh, you know, the driver and, and the command seat. And because it's this up arm up, up armored Humvee, like absolutely nothing happened. Right. Like it's just a 60 inch mortar shell, okay. but, uh, but it's not every day. Like you're in a, you know, vehicle and, you know, some, Explosion goes off on your hood, right? Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah,
2: it's a little yeah, surreal, but, I'm sure.
0: But it's surreal. It, it's surreal at, at the time, but because you know that you know, so long as that thing doesn't drop through the, the top hatch, like yeah. it's fine, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So it's just it, it's 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 all it's you know it's always struck me you know comparing that to our everyday risk calculation just in our day-to-day lives now, particularly, you know, in a civilian, in your civilian life, if you will. Yeah.
2: You've talked a little bit about what combat is like for, or what it was like for you. Do you find that there's an event, a particular event or a couple events that you keep coming back to?
0: Yeah, certainly uh, the one engagement where we lost Ivan, you know, Ivan Wilson uh, was the the one Marine from our, from my platoon, third platoon, mm-hmm. who we lost there. In Nauzad. Um that's a day I come back to often. Obviously, um, you know, we also lost um, one of our, uh, you know, IED specialists and an engineer there, uh, who's attached to the company. Um, there was also in, in a different, uh, almost at the tail end of the our deployment there, uh, a recon platoon that had come through and wasn't attached to the company, but just was operating in the area. You know, they lost a lieutenant. On one of their patrols and, and we were right there hmm. um, when that happened it was yeah so the, absolutely come back to those those moments in the sense of you know what could we have done differently what uh you know what which looking back i mean the answer is not a lot if we were in that situation trying to do what we were doing of securing that area right um But, uh, but obviously, yeah, you come back to that, but you also come back, you know, you come back to moments of, you know, just moments have nothing to do with combat whatsoever, in a Mm -hmm. sense. Um, I'll never forget just, just gazing out on the the mountain range, right? Mm -hmm. That was uh, because we were in a valley and uh, to the east, you know, over essentially kind of Taliban held territory at the time. Uh, and, and this big wadi, there's just this, this beautiful mountain range, right. And, and watching the sunrises over that, you know, or, or, or images of, you know, I'll never forget to, it was the 4th of July actually. And we were on a night patrol. I mean, we were on a night patrol every night. Um, but because it was the 4th of July, uh, back in the fog, they, you know, we, we they fired off some, some, uh, flares. Some mortars, right? It's a little mini celebration, um, basically just to show the Taliban that it was the Fourth of July. Uh, <laughs> but I, but you know, being up, being out, way out in, you know, in the field at the time, outside the wire, as they call it, uh, and just and just watching, you know, through your night vision goggles, just watching the flares, the flares go off, and and just that, in a sense, a very like peaceful moment, very quiet moment. So it's it's funny in the sense that those are times, along with obviously the combat, some of the combat and 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 the loss, um, just mental images that that those stick with you too. Like there's there's a time, you know, you really see, and I'm sure guys who deployed to Iraq, you know, maybe had similar experiences. Um, but in but the fact, maybe it was the fact too that it was depopulated that is at itself was depopulated when we got there because of the, the heavy combat that the, that they, the Brits had had with the the Taliban. Um, it was very, it was quiet. It almost, sur- it was like, it is it, it's sur- definitely surreal in the sense that you could tell people had just picked up and left and they had, they had left their houses furnished, you know, pictures up on the walls. But anyway, just walking through some of these streets that, I mean, you. It could have been 2008. It could have been 800 BC.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that was the feeling. It was almost this timely. You we're in this timeless environment, this ancient environment. Mm. Whether or not those buildings were only 30 or 60 or 100 years old, you couldn't tell yeah. if they were a thousand years old. Right. right. So, um, so that was that. That kind of imagery too sticks out. Mm. Which, which I, you know, I look at, reflecting on that. Strange in the sense that why you know why those moments as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, is is there anything? I mean, we talk like you said. We talk a lot about combat, but there's a whole host of experiences you come away from that deployment with. Is there anything you find that you miss about that time in Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll never forget. I mean, I, I I definitely eat crow a lot in the sense of I'll never forget a conversation I had with our uh kevin bugle who became our platoon sergeant uh, mm. after uh after uh at the time staff sergeant guest was was wounded uh you know and and we're it was on the tail end of the deployment and, and we're conducting some some training for some of the newer guys who had arrived as combat replacements you know and we're sitting there you know we're, we're walking at you know walking out to this thing and, and all our gear and stuff yeah he's like yeah we're gonna miss this place like nah that's crazy you know we won't miss this place for more than five seconds and, and no absolutely miss it i mean abs- the thing in the mist and and easily the thing i miss the most is is those guys you know being there with guys like gabe guest and kevin bugle uh you know and all our squally like ben lamford you know brian joliffe you know Luis espinoza like oh that just the, the platoon the company mm-hmm. um in a lot of ways i think i think and I am no psychologist. And so I'm way over my skis on this, but I think part of what uh, particularly combat veterans miss uh, in, in a way is, is it's not just the camaraderie, it's that entire, it's, that enti- it's, in, it's, a, it's a, like a purely selfless environment. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult, if not impossible to re- recreate that when you are either you know back in the States but, and certainly in, in back in the States in the civilian world or just in any civilian capacity where it's like, you're not, you have your family, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a family uh, and, and, and things are, things are going well, but otherwise, yeah, you just don't, there's no real parallel to it. Mm. And it's, and it's difficult to, to explain to folks who haven't experienced that. What kind of, um, yeah. Well, I mean, again, what the, the kind of, emotional response to that.
2: And again, we often talk about the trauma, but I'm also curious, I like to ask Marines and sailors, is there anything that you're thankful for? Something that that experience actually did for you to make you a better person or make you who you are today in the in the uh, job you're in or as a father, as a husband?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of it stems from what I was just talking about in terms of I think, you know, gratitude for having been uh, surrounded by those kinds of people in, in that environment, um, those fellow Marines and Sailors. Um, you know, gratitude for them and their service, and 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 again, that kind of mutual sense of just you know pure giving, um, even even you know of life. Um, but but also thankful for the. Just, the, just the, the the hardship of it, in a sense, right? Because it, it builds, it build. You know, it, it. I guess now you have a yardstick, right? You have a yardstick you can take through life and just say, like, you know what? Like this is fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had a rough day at work. Yeah, you know, you had a rough day at home or whatever. It's you know, it, it's you have now that capacity to truly measure. Um, you know, people call it you know well i guess what's the word it's called a um, perspective right and and yeah there's certainly you know i think combat veterans are able to apply a certain perspective to any other kind of situation they'll encounter in life that is is in a sense far more resilient than folks who who don't necessarily have that right and mm-hmm. you don't have to go to combat to to gain that kind of perspective i mean lots of yeah. people can gain it through other means you know whether it's through religion or whether it's through personal reflection or what have you um or or other kind of or other kinds of very you know austere and, and arduous type type lifestyles but but i mean that was one that was certainly how i got it was that combat experience
2: but i think part of what you're saying too and i would agree is you may be able to get it through all those things but you don't grow in endurance, resilience, toughness, whatever words you want to use without stress. And there's right. something about uh, enduring that stress together. And I think that might be too how you're right. why you're linking this into your the camaraderie that you sensed with your or that you enjoyed with fell marines and your corpsmen, Navy Corpsmen. You know, there's something about enduring that together that makes us grow almost exponentially. Uh, and actually, there's a lot more risk trying to endure that stress uh, alone, yeah. without others. Certainly, without, from my perspective, without God. But
0: well, they, uh, like yeah. There's there's the pride. You know, there's the pride in being tested, hmm. and feeling like you rose to the task.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then there's the pride in watching your fellow Marines and Sailors be tested, mm-hmm. and watching them not just rise to the occasion, to exceed it. Right. To yeah. Eat yeah. That. That kind of, that's a whole nother level of pride and gratitude mm. that I would never have experienced otherwise. Yeah. And, and that to me is absolutely, I mean, that's soulless, right? Mm. That That's a soulless, a, a, and I'm, you know, S-O-L-A-C-E, soulless, maybe I'm misspelling it, but um, that, I, that I can carry for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, that's neat. I like it. How have you continued to grow then th- past the Marine Corps, where maybe some of that stimulus isn't there, and maybe the camaraderie the uh the sense of closeness to a group of people with a common mission and a you know a, uh, enduring hardship together that that may not be there, so what have you done, Arthur, to kind of continue to grow
0: well there is the what what I think is often there and maybe we don't necessarily take as much advantage of it or act on it as much as we should in the civilian world is, is the opportunity for developing others Hmm. because ultimately as, particularly as an officer, right? Sure. You, you know, as an officer you're called on to be a combat leader. And, and I think most well-trained people in that position can rise to the occasion and be those, be that combat leader.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, what is not, what is harder to do in a sense, I know it sounds odd to say it's harder, but I think it truly is harder to do is to be a good developer of people, mm-hmm. right? Of, of being a good leader of Marines because you're making them better Marines and better people. Okay. And in a sense, even harder to do that well in the civilian world, because at least in the Marine Corps, you're supplied with like a basically trained Marine, right? Like, right. There is, there is absolutely like, there's a, there's a standard of which like you're, at least you've got a product to work with. Right. Right. You know, in the civilian world, it could be very different. I mean, there could be people who are just obviously remarkable and, and incredible in and your and it's, and it's, you know, incredible, you know, you're incredibly fortunate to know them, but then there's other folks who you, you can have that opportunity to develop them into, you know, whether whatever profession they're in or career, or what have you, but also as people. And in a sense, that's harder to do. And I think sometimes folks may shy away from that. And maybe also because it's not necessarily part of your job, if you will. Um, but it's an opportunity. And so I guess I have to – that's a long answer to a short question. To answer your question directly, I have continued – I have I have found that to be a continually rewarding experience when I have gone uh, – a little bit further to develop people um, that otherwise may not have had that opportunity. Mm. Does that make sense?
2: I mean, It be. does. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. That's great. Did you ever get to a point after your experience in Afghanistan where some of those uh, events or memories you had a hard time moving on from and you felt like you needed to reach out for help beyond yourself?
0: You know, it's a good question because, uh, and maybe that, and because, yeah, I mean, I can tell you maybe it's just selfishness or stubbornness, but mm-hmm. thinking not, right? Coming out of that experience, thinking that I didn't need that or didn't, you know, and, ser- and certainly knowing that there were other people who truly needed that um, for very good reasons, more so than I did. But what struck me once some time had passed, um was when i would speak with others who had been there other guys who had been there um, so fellow fellow officers or fellow marines who had been it whether on that deployment or, or similar types of deployments but particularly you know guys you'd served with on that particular deployment and just in the just in the sharing of stories and the sharing of experiences realizing just how deep seated there were the isu- were issues that you'd absolutely sh- should be talking about more and, and reaching out to people to talk about more. And there's times when certainly, you know, particularly on anniversaries uh, of certain events that, uh, that, yeah, that I would find myself, you know, reaching out to folks to, to talk. Right. And, um, you know, may, maybe that, you know, maybe that becomes more prevalent for me or, or not, but, but no, I, I think, and I, so yeah, again, long answer to a short question, but yes, there were times where I did reach out, but part of I think being the fact that I was a little older during that deployment um, yeah. than most other guys, and and maybe just i I'd, I'd been in I'd been in the professional world for at least a couple of years before doing that uh, in a very different capacity. I think mm-hmm. maybe also coming into it with some some previous life experience also helped me um, kind of let level set expectations going into it uh b- bottom line my expectations were very low <laughs> so, what we were going to be able to i mean it just in terms of like when we were you know no one was fooling and, and not just me right i mean these are all smart guys who knew that we weren't we weren't going to turn around afghanistan and
1: yeah. the
0: war and have a ticker tape parade what we were going to do was absolutely make an impact on that area of operations we were assigned and that's mm-hmm. what we did and 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 you know, people talk about, oh, you know, the problem is insurgency. There's no victory. There's no end date. There's no, you can't, you know, there's, you can't ever say that you won or whatever. But it's just a matter of like, the question is on what scale? Right. Of course not. Like, of course, no one's expecting to come home. Oh yeah, we won the war or whatever. That was never, I don't think for, at least for me and my Marines and, and I think part of it was mentally preparing them for us, like for this is, and, and they'd also seen this in Iraq, right? Like no one was expecting that. But to be able to say that we absolutely did make a tangible difference from this date to when we got there and this date when we left,
1: and
0: you could see it. You could see the people seeing, you know, the population realizing it was more safe or more secure, it was a safer place, starting to move back. Like you saw that. That's what we came and that's what we did. And, And I think being able to deliver to those, to be able to show those Marines, the results of their efforts
1: mm-hmm.
0: was, was, I think, very, uh, was, was almost like an antidote perhaps, In, at least to some extent, almost, uh, like almost vaccinated them perhaps from, um, from, from issues or, or from, from problems that they might have down the road. And, and maybe that was just our small group,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: of a platoon or a couple platoons in that one given environment but
2: so on that note you know kind of potentially kind of a a hard thing to to wrap your your mind and your heart around as you pour all that energy all that blood literally sweat into securing that area and making things better and as you know uh not too long ago the taliban came back into the area of nowzad what do you think about that uh, how do you process through that?
0: Well, I mean, again, it's, I process it by not having any illusions. Of, yeah. course, of course it was, uh, going to be an extremely difficult, I mean, just the issues in that country, like a lot of other countries,
1: mm-hmm. either
0: it Iraq or Syria or Venezuela, right. Or, or Mexico for that certain parts of Mexico. I mean, the there's some commonality with some of these problems that are generational, right? And these are generational issues. And look, does, you know, the fact that we came in as Marines into this one area and just completely ran the tables in a good way, if you will. Right. And, and you know, we leave and years later, you know, the other guy, you know, the other side comes in and, and they, they do what they're doing. And that's going to ebb and flow. And I, and I think if you take perhaps... You know if you study history and you take a more historical perspective to this it's again it's just a matter of what kind of time scale are
2: you thinking about yeah yeah no i think that's a very mature balanced perspective
0: not that it's comparable but but you know look at vietnam and and i would i would argue and i always have argued you know especially since my dad served there hit him and his peers his generation thinking that was in a lot of ways a, a failed effort and certainly from a military perspective You know, not necessarily successful, um, although tactically quite successful, but strategically people call it a failure, but then it's like, okay, well, you look at it right now and it's actually quite, you know, again, it's just, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your yardstick? What's your, what's your time scale? And I think if you take a big enough perspective on some of these questions, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that one side's winning in a given year and another side's winning in in another year, what's the general trend? Again, I'm no professor of history or, you know, certainly not a psychologist on any of this stuff, but, but no, I I don't, I don't lose sleep necessarily at night because Mm -hmm. I know that when we were there and when we had that mission and when those Marines poured everything they had into it, like you just, it absolutely made a difference. And I believe that, and the fact that we made a difference then is no one can take that away from us. Right. And that's what I told one of the last things I told them on that deployment. It's like, no, no one will ever take away. And whether it's the populace, the civilians who are there, whether it was, you know, Afghans in Kabul, whether it was people in the United States, whether it's anyone in the world can, can never take away what you did here. Right. And that that's just a
1: fact.
2: Absolutely. Now, your Marines did a fantastic job, whether they ran the table or they took it to the enemy and uh, regularly won. Uh, and made it a better place. They did their job and they did it very, very well. They should be proud of that. Uh, and I think your your perspective, because you have to look at that and figure out a way to process through what you did with the present reality. And I think your perspective is important to share and needs to be heard because not everybody necessarily process it, processes it the same way that you do. And uh, I think it, it helps them to hear that because sometimes they can feel, um, like what they did didn't have value just because of the snapshot of what it looks like now in 2018. And it's not completely accurate.
0: The problem is, is that there's never enough time to really try to convey all the details. Yeah. Of these experiences, which is a shame, right? And you know, I mean, this is not a new problem. I mean, I think it was Homer, you know, who talked about just the the untold you know the untold tales of war and, and heroes. Yeah. And I mean, if I could i i i i can describe to you the minute details you know of of watching marines in my platoon and the incredible bravery that they that they did you know just like you know going out going into breached walls you know not having any idea if they were about to step on an id or be shot at as they went through and just going through like it was nothing you know or standing up in the face of enemy fire um and and, and returning fire and and Doing, you know, just doing so—it's just a matter of course, right? And, and there's something deeply moving and and it's obviously inspirational to me, um, certainly about those those memories. And you asked earlier, you know, what are you thankful for? And 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 again, it's like, you know, whereas on the one hand, war is truly the most evil thing you'll ever experience like it is true it's in a war writ large is the manifestation of human evil right i i absolutely i saw that firsthand but but these moments of combat in a sense you're almost thankful for having had the opportunity to bear witness to those those moments of just pure courage right and and that that to me um is something I'll ne- I'll always be grateful for is having having been just be able to say I was there when I saw um, my Marines just be able to do these just instant instinctively be heroes, mm. right? Um, and they'll never they'll never claim the title of that or, or 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 say that that's what they are what they were doing, but just just doing what you know doing what they were supposed to do in, in the face of incredible hardship and, 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 and danger. And, and again, doing it like it was just perfectly natural. I wish we all had more of these opportunities, which you're providing. I mean, this is this, you know, thank you for doing this because it doesn't happen enough. It, it literally like what, what if there is a way where we could just tell everybody's story from the whole thing, it, it would take years, but it would be entirely worthwhile. Yeah. Um, If only there was a way to do that. And I think you're chipping away at that with this, this podcast and this series, which I think is an incredible service to certainly to those of us who were there, but I think obviously to, you know, all our fellow Americans.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, let
0: me tell, let me tell two quick stories. If we have the time. Um,
2: Yeah, no, no, go
1: for it.
0: One is, I, you know, I think our biggest tactical victory while we were there, uh, we essentially took out an entire squad uh, of enemy, and it was it was because we. Well, two, 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 two acts uh, of my fellow Marines stand out. Um, part of that was very much because, without hesitation. Uh, now Sergeant, well, he was corporal at the time, um, but Aaron Tomlinson was a squad leader and I asked him, you know, I was there at the center of our, we had, we had basically ambushed the Taliban by sneaking in overnight and we, and we did, we pulled this stunt a few times and they eventually wisened up to it, but it worked for a while. Um, you know, we would sneak into these positions overnight, very close to where their, their fighting positions were. Um, and, and well, I think undetected. And then in the morning we would bring up the vehicles, which were obviously caused them to, to, to uh, attack to try to attack those vehicles, not knowing that we were right there. And so we, we did that this one time. Um, and I was there at the center of our, our hasty position. I had, uh, a couple of, uh, of my Marines on one, one end, just suppressing fire with machine guns but then I asked Sergeant Tomlinson to basically take his squad and, and hook along this one wall, essentially kind of sneak up on where, where the Taliban were, you know, trying to attack the vehicles and basically hook around the wall and, and flush them out. And he did that. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I, you know, I explained that plan to him in the course of, you know, much faster than I just did right now. Right. Mm -hmm. In the course of a few seconds Uh, and just, didn't, didn't even blink, just did it. Mm. I, it's like, you know, just, uh, no, I'm sorry. I mistold this. It was over the radio because we weren't, we weren't, you know, we were, obviously there's a lot of noise going on, a lot of gunfire. He was, he was about, you know, f- 30, 40, 50 yards to my right. um, And, you know, so I'm radioing that I'm conveying this over the radio to him. And, and he's just like, just got it. And I just watch as he just literally just takes his squad and personally leads them around this bend hmm. uh, and into this, you know, in, and starts, starts flushing them out. And, the, you know, they, the that's that enemy squad broke and ran across the field, right. As this British Apache was coming over. So the timing was incredible, but hmm. just the way he executed that um, still to this day, like I just like blows my mind. I mean, gives, you know, wow. incredible, Without
2: hesitation, with a hundred percent effort, just
0: just a hundred percent confidence and conviction, just just did it, and, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll never forget him 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 doing that. And then this, and then part in that in that same engagement, um, how uh, Staff Sergeant Guest, Staff Sergeant at the time, Master Sergeant now, uh, how he he got wounded was only because he was continually resupplying us with ammunition, um, throughout the course of that day long engagement. And we are just run, just running his Humvee back and forth over an area. We knew there were IEDs. We had cleared a lane again, as well as you could in this kind of environment. Um, but he didn't, he didn't have, it's almost as if you know, he, again, well, not almost, he absolutely went above and beyond what he, what he, what he needed to do by, by being able to resupply us and, and help us press that attack. Um, you know, his Humvee eventually did, did hit an IED on one of those return trips, but just, you know, we would, we would not have been, I mean, we would have been able to do a fraction of what we did without the kind of continuous support he was, he supplied throughout the day.
1: Yeah,
0: And and so, not only like, you know, did his, did his role, you know, as platoon sergeant and and making sure, you know, everyone had what they needed um, and, and helping tactically lead uh, the formation throughout this engagement. um, Not only did that to a T, but, but did it in such a manner where, you know, you could, you could see the, the kind of, um, moral and emotional support he was providing the Marines, like just by being up at the front so many times.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So that, so that experience and then getting the radio call that, that his truck had been hit and that he was wounded, mm-hmm. really And then, you know, just those few seconds of just like, just absolute, you know, you could, you could you know, just, you could tell the whole platoon just like collectively hold its breath
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in the sense he's, you know, he's going to be okay. And, you know, once he was, uh, you know, recovered and and evaluated. Um, again, it's just it's just one of those moments where you think back, and it's you know it's like did did that really happen? You know, it's like these these moments. You know, they're almost like s- cinematic, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's yeah. but again, like you can't you can't tell enough of these stories. They all it all happened. It was all true. That's something I think about a lot. Is like you know if I if I were to actually dive into some of this stuff, people would be like, no, you're making it up. You know, yeah. it's like it all. And, and it wasn't just, obviously it wasn't just our platoon. It was first platoon that was there too. Um, All the other platoons in the battalion were in similar, if not even more pressing um, engagements over the course of that deployment. And and yeah, it, it all really happened. Yeah. One of the things I'm most proud of is also the restraint, right? And this is something particularly in an insurgency environment is something we talk about, but never have, we haven't quite figured out is, you know, what, you don't. You don't get a medal for not shooting, right? And there's two instances I will never forget, and I'm so grateful for. Uh, and I and I often go back to these in terms of you know if it it, it, it it in an otherwise you know if I'm otherwise you know if there's otherwise darker memories, but two moments where we absolutely it, it, we had to make that decision of whether to to shoot or not, essentially life or death decisions. And we chose not to, and we're right. And later found out after the fact that we made the right decision. And th- those are, th- I am so grateful for those, those, those moments. Um, I'm, I'm generally proud of the fact that to our knowledge, we did not, um, you know, no civilians were killed in, in, even in the course of very intense combat in, in our area of operations. Um, very proud of that fact but it's specifically these two instances where everything was lined up um and we were even getting intelligence and other indications that that these were enemy combatants and that we should take the shot and we we did not right and 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 my marines didn't um and and were later that was shown that we'd made the right decision and those are those are wonderful uh moments in a sense right um to be on the right side of that call. And, and again, that to me personally, something I'm proud of uh, that I was given the opportunity to make that decision and that I made the right decision. Um, And, and, and again, proud of the restraint of of my Marines as well. I, I kid you, I kid you not The we were, when we occupied our position in NASAD, we had just driven through this, this, this area, right? Like the, the platoon convoy had gone through near this one, compound and this one hill. Uh, and no more than 48 hours later, uh, you know, one of our snipers who was surveilling, you know, at night surveilling the area, just making sure no one was going back to where we had driven past to plant an ID. And sure enough, there was a, an Afghan, you know, with, through this sniper's night vision equipment, all he could see was he was right near that road. He was digging something and he had something in his hand and he was bending over and couldn't, you know, and, and it like, like we could at that we were entirely justified given, given the situation and our rules of engagement to take that shot. And I, you know, no, no, he said no. And, and it goes, and like that, that, the, all the credit to that goes to Dan Sochi, right. For, for that lesson I talked about earlier in the sense of like, all it takes is one little mistake to have this kind of outsized negative impact um, that I decided that that was, they're just, you know, you know, not to do that, that one. And then then later in the deployment, you know, being on a patrol way out, further out than we'd ever been to before. uh, And again, at night and in a known area of of heavy enemy activity um, and watching these two Afghans at a distance through our night vision equipment, Crossing this one open area with something slung over their shoulders, you know, a long, you know, oblong object and just the same way someone cared, you know, and, and just again, like just everything could have gone the other way. We wouldn't entirely, you know, it's just like, and just thinking about <laughs> put going back to those moments and deciding not to, and then finding out and as they got closer, you know, it's like, that's a rake you know, it's not a PKM you know, and just, and just the relief. Um, even right now thinking about it, I'm just like so thankful for that, you know, and then again, all the training goes, all the credit goes to the training and, and, and the lessons that, and the preparation um, of knowing to, to be able to have that kind of restraint.
2: All right. As we kind of wrap up, do you have any particular resources that you would like to share that you found helpful, whether that be, um, some kind of an outreach program, a book, or just a, a personal discipline that you have.
0: Well, certainly, i my hats off to the Semper Fi Fund. Uh, they've done yeah. a remarkable job of supporting uh, Marine veterans, particularly from that those that era of deployments. Um, they've they have sponsored a number of reunions. Um, I believe there's one coming up, and, and having attended one of those, that was very meaningful. Uh, absolutely absolutely worthwhile uh experience um so definitely commend that to to my fellow marines uh to try to make it to those kinds of events but otherwise and, and look i am i'm terrible at social media i should be a lot better i pre- pretty much the only reason i have a facebook profile is so other marines can get in touch with me even though i you know i failed it to log in on a regular basis but but at least they know i'm out there um but but just keeping in touch with each other you know i i certainly still still talk to uh you know fellow platoon commanders from that time Mm -hmm. um so that's that's from like a just a that's my biggest would be my biggest recommendation is just continually you know seek the support of others and support others right in Mm turn um particularly guys who were there but even if they weren't there you know people are willing to listen You, you know even if they didn't serve in the marines or any other branch of the military you know people want people want to be able to talk about this stuff and, and just don't necessarily know how so, so take the first step you know be, be that be that marine and just just you know lead, lead with conviction um and take that first step even though it may seem risky or, or painful or, or what have you mm-hmm. um you know it's easy for me to say but it it's i've tried it and it's it's it seems to work um but otherwise, in terms of other resources, I mean, a tremendous amount of you know. We're, look, we're you know part of being a uh, I'll never forget feeling pretty bad actually for the Estonians, right? And really for pretty much every other NATO country there, you know, we would have these mountains of you know care packages that, mm. that you know, Amer- you know, fellow citizens would send. And I remember telling my Marines like, you don't don't take this for granted because first of all, like it's not always that way in the United States. I mean, like, yeah the vietnam generation um and their experience and and totally different um but also you know just we we just despite all the you know just all the noise you hear in national politics and the divisiveness that you might get or might seem to think that there's out there you really you, you know you peel the onion back a little bit um and you see in America, you absolutely still have these, these bonds, these, these commonalities and people want to listen and want to be able to share with you. Mm-hmm. Right. So take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, oh I'm sorry. And then it's a, a tangent, but that, that was, what I was talking about was those resources that there's, there's incredible amount of resources out there. I'm no expert, but just knowing just a little bit through like, you know, like the veteran service off my father-in-law, you know, a, a Navy, veteran from the Vietnam era, uh, you know, veteran service officer for his, for his area, um, incredible amount of resources that guys like that could bring to bear. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, you know, I've since joined, you know, organizations like the American Legion and and the BFW and, and, you know, uh, and in some cases, those are challenging environments because not necessarily catered towards perhaps Iraq or Afghan veterans of this generation, but that's an opportunity, right? See that as an opportunity go in there and make a difference right? Those are incredible. That's an incredible resource set up for veterans. And, you know, it's, it's not just sitting at a bar and kind of drinking and, and telling stories. It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to become to really make an impact in that in your community.
2: All right. Thanks so much for taking the time again to do the interview. It's always good to hear from you. It's great to hear your stories. And I have no doubt that what you've shared today is going to have an impact as other people who are trying to overcome their own adversity, whether they be Marines, sailors, or folks who have never maybe served in the military as you were talking about earlier. As they listen to this, they're going to find a source of encouragement, I think, and a a real shot in the arm. So thanks for being here.
0: Well, thank, thank you again for providing this opportunity.